saw the collision or has any information is asked to contact 101. The Home Office has asked for a licence and review of an Indian restaurant in Johnston after a number of raids on the premises uncovered illegal immigrants. An application for a review due to be discussed by Pembrokeshire County Council's licensing submittee committee next week states that the Home Office believes licensing objectives will not be met at Bombay Brasserie. At the time of the Home Office application, the licence holder of the Vine Road restaurant was listed as Werner Erold Fuchs, a report to committee states. We have reason to believe the licence holder will fail to meet the licensing objectives of prevention of crime and disorder as illegal working has been identified at the premises, the Home Office application reads. Included with the application to the committee on May the 30th is reference to three visits to the premises where illegal workers were discovered with employer Fazla Raman present. The last raid was on April the 13th where one man without permission to work was found. In August 2018, the report adds a civil penalty penalty of £15,000 was issued after two illegal workers were found in November 2018 as another worker was found. The civil penalty remains unpaid according to the Home Office. Theresa May's turbulent leadership of the Conservative Party will end on June the 7th, paving the way for a new Prime Minister to lead the Brexit process. A tearful Prime Minister said she had done my best to get her withdrawal agreement through Parliament and take the UK out of the European Union, but acknowledged she had failed. It is and will always remain a matter of deep regret to me and I have not been able to deliver Brexit, she said in Downing Street. Watched by husband Philip and her closest aides, an emotional Mrs May said it was the best interests of the country for a new Prime Minister to lead that effort. Announcing her departure from a job she loved, Mrs May said, I am today announcing that I will resign as leader of the Conservatives and Unionist Party on Friday the 7th of June so that a successor can be chosen. Concluding her resignation statement, Mrs May broke down as she said it had been the honour of my life to serve the country that I love. Priscilla Pembrokeshire MP Stephen Crabb said, I've supported the Prime Minister over the last three years, both in public and in private, and I believe she has done her very best against almost impossible odds, and I thank her for that. And in Pembrokeshire sport, Christian Bennett has spoken. After leaving his position as manager of Haken United, Bennett, a distinguished former player with the Vikings, took over the first team at the end of 2015 to the 2016 season, following the departure of Gary Dawes. At that point, it appeared he had a rebuilding job on his hands, and yet with the assistant Stuart MacDonald, led the club to back-to-back Division 1 titles. They also won the Senior Cup in the 2017-28 season to complete the double and whilst the side failed to add any silverware in their last campaign, they still reached a West Wales Cup semi-final. I'm Toby Ellis and you're up to date with Pembrokeshire's News. And this is the West Files. It sure is. Hey, on this day, did you know, on 27th of May, 1541, Margaret Pohl, who was a frail 67-year-old, uh, was ordered to be executed by King Henry VIII. No, why? Yeah, well, for... She was a traitor. She wasn't. Oh. But, but it all went very badly wrong because the executioner uh, was a complete moron who took 11 goes at her. Oh, my Lord. While she what? ran shrieking round, um, yeah, round yeah, the Tower of London. That's an interesting fact to start the show with. Bit like Haken, isn't it? <laughs> People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked 
When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're strained, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're strange, people are strange. When you're alone, women seem wicked When you're unwanted, streets are uneven When you're down Well, I don't know if she was headless, but she had to let them go to stop her being... Well, she was headless eventually. Eventually, yeah. 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 Anyway, tonight on The West Files, <laughs> at long last, um, a pet subject of mine. Yes. 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 Met- Cat be warned. <laughs> metal, metal detecting. A subject of some controversy. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It causes lots of controversy. And there's also been a few comedy programmes on the subject as well. Um, Excellent comedy program. Oh, there we are, and that's our guest tonight, <laughs> uh, Jack Tree, correct, and Pembrokeshire metal detectorist. Yeah, yeah, member of the Pembrokeshire Prospectors. Pembrokeshire Prospectors, and he's going to be telling us and um, teaching us more about metal detecting mm, because it's something I don't know a lot about. All right, well, uh, the expert is sitting across the table, so. For the uneducated sitting alongside me, <laughs> yes. um, can you briefly outline what exactly is metal detecting? It's looking for metal objects which are hidden from sight by the land that we're walking on. So it's, uh, what did we used to say? History beneath your feet. There Ooh, we are. I like the sound of that. There we are. Mm. And how is that achieved? And, well, the original metal detectors that we used to use 40 years ago, were landmine detectors, mm-hmm. um, which were very inefficient because they were designed to find large metal objects. But gradually, they've developed over the years and they're now computerized, and a signal is sent out from a coil into the ground. If it finds a metal object, signal is bounced back and it comes into the coil which is then fed up to your headphones and you hear a 
buzz in your headphone if there is a metal object underneath the head. Now, I'm right in thinking, aren't I, that the the buzzes can be at different sounds so that different that re- different frequencies and that yes. relates to the type of metal that to the type of metal um it's it's called its resistance to mm-hmm. the frequency that is being transmitted to mm-hmm. it different metals have different you know you your gold is a good de- a good transmitter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you go right the way down through iron which uh, in you if if you've got one of the modern detectors which discriminate mm-hmm. it'll just give you a horrible screeching noise whereas your copper your silver gold will give you a nice sharp signal so with metal detecting you are presumably looking for valuable items or significant items you know, you're not when after, you say valuable, historically valuable, yeah, it, not not monetarily well, I mean, we necessarily. The, we do see reports in newspapers of you know hordes of gold coins and silver Viking coins being found, don't we? So I mean, there is a there is a monetary advantage to finding something. Unfortunately, the newspapers do tend. <laughs> There's a surprise. Do do tend to over egg things and and. For the few valuable finds that are made each year, and that, you know, don't get me wrong, it, the metal detectorists have found some very interesting artifacts which would have otherwise gone undiscovered. But for every every good find, we spend countless thousands of hours digging up the odd musket ball, the ring pulls, oh, the ring old pulls. cans. Clearing the farmer's fields of rubbish. I was going to say, I mean, isn't this being very good neighbourly? <laughs> I mean, you must remove, you know, how many tonnes of scrap and... <coughs> and lead, of course, is toxic. And lead, toxic, yes, yes. Deeply yes, toxic, yes. and you yeah. don't want that in your, in your vegan cornflakes. No. It's you... also recycling as well, surely, in a way. Yes, I'll, I'll go it in the... Step into the green camp, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people are into that one now, and I'm thinking, well, if you're clearing the fields, well... Yeah. Well, I'm doing my bit, you know, I, I'm doing my bit for the environment. I'm eating as many cows as I can, because I've, I've discovered that apparently they give off the, methane. Yes, the methane. And they're toxic they, to the yeah. environment, so, you yeah. know, I, I think we should just eat them all. <laughs> and, you know, like, that'll solve the problem. <coughs> You know, it's it always struck me as strange that we should stop eating them because then there'd just be more of them. You know, just going around fields farting randomly and like destroying the ozone layer. Bloody nuisance they are. Yeah, okay. Mind you, my, mind you. I'm sorry, sorry. How how do you know somebody's a vegan? Go on. Wait five seconds, I'll tell you. Uh, back to metal detecting. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes. Back, to, back to much more and much more. And I, I I've got to. Um, I should really own up here, shouldn't I? I do have a prior, some prior um, knowledge of the knowledge subject. Of the subject yeah, yes, because you do. It used yeah. to be a passion of mine too. Yeah. Um, and I longingly stare at the fields behind our house thinking, I wish I hadn't sold mine. <laughs> Warning cat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's with some envy that we have Jack in tonight. Um, because Pembrokeshire is an area that has always been historically very significant, hasn't it? Yes. But, but. Oh, a but. A but. 
Um, as I was telling you earlier, you, when you start detecting, you have a wish list. Mm -hmm. And you're always reading about these Roman hoards that are found. Always wanted to find something Roman. But in Pembrokeshire, very rare. Um, I have found Roman brooches and a few Roman coins in Pembrokeshire, mm -hmm. but I had to go down to Sussex to find my first Roman brooch. So although Pembrokeshire is historically... You know how you said before about your Bronze Age axe? Yes. And you said, well, I've got one, because yes. it was on my wish list. Yes. I actually found a new type um, of Roman brooch up in Cheshire. Right. Um, and they, they, it was a typology that the archaeologists had been looking for. They, they thought it existed based upon known examples in collections. Of the other sides, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, and there must have been there something must have been the a middle. development there. Yeah, and I found it, and then I found the second one. So there you go. Mm. I got the Roman brooch because I mean, from Cheshire, right on the borders with uh, the D and Chester and Roman coins, they were a, they they were a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, we were pulling them out all yeah. over the place. Oh no, another one. We, I always wanted we, a, a gold a gold stator. That was one of my high on the list, mm. but we were too far north and west. The Iceni never came that far for us, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, what sort of thing would... Let, let's put aside the, the ring pulls, the pop tins, the horseshoes, the bits of plough and all the other detritus that ends up in fields. Mm. What's the sort of things, from a historical perspective, do turn up in West Wales in Pembrokeshire? Well, one of my favourites is a hammered coin, because each one of those is a... A little mm. work of art. It is. Do you know? And you pick up um, an Edward the First long cross penny. It's been in the ground for eight hundred years. It's gone up and down with the plough, mm -hmm. and you can pick one of those out of the ground, and you can see every detail on it. If you find one of our modern one pound coins after it's been in the ground for five years you can barely tell what it is do you know we were having that conversation <laughs> on an on a metal detecting archaeo on an archaeological site um saying that we are not leaving any history behind because our coinage won't last six months in the no, ground no 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 it, it just rots yeah i mean we my boy one of my boys dropped a two pence piece um on our driveway a few, a few, quite a few short weeks ago, and I've just left it there, um, and it's just a disc of rust. Mm. And yet, as you say, eight hundred years, and with the Roman coins, two thousand, <coughs> two thousand years. years. Yeah, you know, we I was saying before we were getting lots of Roman coins, but they were in immaculate condition. The copper ones. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, these these things were surviving. They were leaving a history that we could look at. And with the Roman brooch, we could document and understand. Nobody will know what a two-pound coin is or a fifty-pence piece yeah. in oh, fifty years' time. No. It won't exist any no. longer unless no. they're kept in, you know, sort of a sterile, airtight environment. Does that? Not, did you find that frustrating? Yes, very frustrating. We we were. I was in Sussex recently, Worthing, and my brother-in-law, who's also a detectorist, um, had been given permission to search this field which was underneath a field that had gold status come from it. 
so I was only mm -hmm. too keen to get mm -hmm. on I can it. imagine. <laughs> but he then told me that it had been used for the last 20 years for a car boot sale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you can imagine what I said. Uh, so you want me to clear the rubbish off <laughs> so that you can find out the good stuff underneath. We came off that field with 54 pound coins. I don't know how many. I stopped digging anything that wasn't giving me a signal mm. of 64 because I knew 64 was. Mm. But they were coming up so corroded. Yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, we had to get rid of them because nothing else was coming through. Do you, I mean, let, let, one of the other problems that we always used to face um, was that you would have a site of some significance, but then there would be, there would be a member of the local history society, who probably moved into the village about three minutes ago, mm. who would go out and scatter all manner of iron nails, copper nails, all over the site. Well, we haven't had that problem. You haven't, you haven't but, come but, across. But what we have come across is this new carbon fertilizer that the farmers are using. Oh, I've not encountered that. Well, it's doors, windows, boxes put into a shredder mm -hmm. and shredded down into fine slivers. But unfortunately, within that, they've left the fastenings, etc., on it. So you've got bits of aluminium, bits of tin, bits of copper, shears, and it's spread all over the fields. Ah. So it's effectively blanked the field mm. out completely. Mm. You get no signals apart from this rubbish. Mm. Um, I know we, we worked on sites where it was possible after a while to, you know, if you if you really stuck at it, you could work your way in and around this f smog screen of yes. modern detritus yeah. to get to stuff underneath it or in in mixed in with it. But it is just very very hard work. Mm. Um, well, strange. We had a phone call from a landowner. Mm -hmm who has had night hawks on his land. And yeah, better explain for the Oh sorry. Yeah, <laughs> night hawks. No. These are these 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 aren't something from Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. They're not birds either. No. <laughs> no. It's unfortunate that some thieves use motor cars. There are also some thieves who use metal detectors. Mm -hmm. Ah. And they go out at night and by torchlight <coughs> they find artifacts that the landowner never sees and uh, they're not the, the items are never recorded properly they're not metal detectorists they are thieves using metal detectors mm -hmm. and he this landowner said look I want your club to do a proper search on my land. Immediately you've gone, I'm going to sort the land with 
copper washers, etc., etc., mm -hmm. to make it impossible for anybody else to search it again. Because he's that upset mm. that people are taking stuff from his land and he's not even aware of what it might be. And that very small minority have resulted in metal detecting getting quite a, a reputation, an ill, an Ill reputation, um, both with the public and also with the uh, archaeological community. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and I remember, you know, so often on Time Team, that famous archaeological program on Channel 4, I think it was, yeah. uh, they would frequently rant against these metal detectorists, you know, pulling finds out and out of context and not properly recorded. And, and yet that's completely untrue, isn't it? Because metal detectorists have actually contributed a huge amount of and knowledge. I've been on Time Team programs three mm. times. Because they, they requested always, our yeah. attention. I was going to say, in the background, you can see the metal detectors yes, working yes, hard. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, you know, if it's done properly and, and uh, legally. And I even mean, the archaeologists really, <laughs> this is something that really used to annoy me 30 years ago when the archaeologists were saying, the reason the archaeologists wouldn't trust metal detectorists is because the archaeologists themselves knew what their own compatriots had been getting up to. <laughs> I mean, so many archaeologists had um, small collections, collections small own. collections that only came to light when they passed away mm -hmm. and their widows were selling off their effects. Mm -hmm. Where did this collection come from? Where did this artefact arrive from? Of course, archaeologists could see that this had been going on and there was another group coming along, a metal detectorist, Good gracious, they're going to get in on the act now. Mm -hmm. Untrue. And they've now realised that if it hadn't been for metal detectorists, a lot of the equipment, a lot of the artefacts that have now been found in Pembrokeshire alone, the Treguinis Hoard, found by Roy Lewis. Treguint, sorry. Um, would never, I say never would have been found. You might have found the odd coin. A beautiful hoard that was buried during the Civil War. Because the traditional way of these things being found was that we, we look at 19th and early 20th century farming techniques. There was a man walking behind a pair of horses pulling a plough. Mm. And he would see if, any, if anything was pulled up by the plough. Yeah. But with modern automated ploughing systems uh, driven by computers, and they never see any of this. So it will never be visually found unless it's hit with the plough and breaks the plough bits off. But So metal detectorists... Yeah. And, of course, you're governed all, um, quite uh, by by several schemes, aren't you? There's the Portable Antiquities Scheme and the Treasure Act. And the Treasure Act, yes. Yeah. And now, just for the, for the, for the listeners, um, we should just explain that uh, the Treasure Act is non-voluntary and the Portable Antiquities Scheme is voluntary. voluntary. And we'll talk about the, more of them and the differences after we've had a tea break. Uh, Supply tonight by, who's next? Who's next? Humble. Humble. Kendrick Lamar. There we are. Nobody pray for me. It's been a day for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances. Finessing on them with some counterfeits. But now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lives in fact. With my boobay, tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst. 
My left stroke just went viral Right stroke, put lil' baby in a spiral Soprano C, we like to keep it on the high note It's levels to it, you and I know Tell him be humble Sit down 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 Sit down, little Sit down. Who that I'm that he frontin' no man? Get the arm off my stage, I'm the semen. Get the arm off my that ain't right. I make a play blowing up your whole life. I'm so so sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me something natural like Afro with your Show me something natural. I wanna feel some stretch marks. Great poop on the AV on the TED talk. Ayy, watch my soul speak. You let the meds talk. Ayy, if I kill an arm, it won't be the alcohol. Ayy, I'm the realest arm after all. Tell them be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Tell them sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Sit down. We've just been looking at some uh, interesting <laughs> coinage from the medieval period. Um, the first one, a uh, little tiny half a penny, little tiny sliver of... Well, it was so small and it's so light. I mean, I, you'd have lost that. Okay, somebody did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we found it, yeah. yeah. Well, well, they what, found so what it. have I got now? Because this is another really... How come it's so light? Because it was one penny's worth of silver. Really? Mm-hmm. But that, that is threepence. That threw up as three pence. Wow. Look at the weird bend on it. Yeah, I noticed that. That wasn't done. I'm going to let Jack explain, but that wasn't done um, in the ground by a plough. Oh, I was going to say I thought it was. No, that's that's a particularly medieval... um, But I'll let Jack explain. Yeah, explain, please. Well, if you look at it edgeways on... Yeah. It's an S. Yes. For sweetheart. Oh... And they bent them like that? They bent them like that on purpose. Um, because they couldn't afford to give their sweetheart, their betrothed, a ring. Right. So they gave them a coin shaped like an S. Like an S. Oh, wow. But most of them were done out of copper coins. Right. Right. Um which was difficult, they were difficult to bend, but I don't know, I found 30 or 40 of them shaped like an S. But this particular one is an Elizabeth I. Wow. Yep. Queen Bess was on the throne when that 
person. So that was given as like as a, as a love token. Though. As a love token, but oh. that that was a threepence. So that was three days' wages. Wow, that is fascinating. There we are. And that is, as you said, quite just now beneath your feet. Yeah, yeah, in the ground beneath your feet. Wow. But why they did this one ever? You know, it's an an early one. Mm. I've not seen them that early. I I have actually seen Edward threes done like that. Have you? Mm. But I mean, whether whether yes, it was, yes, because whether it was an old coin. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it was just a. Uh, I've got this old coin. We'll use that. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. because awesome. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, we still had Queen Victoria coins, or you know, occasionally a George four. Yeah, yeah. Was still in your pocket money. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the these earlier coins were still in circulation if they hadn't mm. been clipped to death. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, that's why we assumed that uh, some of the Edwards were S-bent. And last year, year before last, sorry, I actually found a gold coin bent. Oh, stop it. <laughs> as a love token. Seriously? Honestly. Now, why on earth someone could afford Sir John to bend <laughs> a gold coin instead of giving be, his sweetheart a gold ring? <laughs> Well, I'm not going to tell the listeners that you just sat here drooling all over. <laughs> Actually, what you, you've learned a great deal about, because coins can tell you a great deal about um, uh, people and history. Mm. One example, we, we have a college down at is it Cambridge called Brazenose College. Right. And it was named after Henry VIII. And Brazenose is uh, bastardization of Brasnose. Right. Because to pay for the wars in France that Henry was conducting, he debased the coinage, which, instead of it being a penny weight of silver, yeah. he took half the silver away and chucked a load of copper in it. Ah. And if you rubbed the no the, the, the coin yeah. you know, or carried it round, yeah. the silver would wear off and he'd have a brass nose. Ah. <laughs> and they called him old brass nose. Yeah. Old copper nose. Or old copper nose. Yeah. Yeah. So the college became Brasenose College. Yeah. Or brass nose college. Which is probably the first start of where all our currency ended up going down to what it's worth now. Um well yeah, well Henry was the first to debase. Yes. And that one there. And here's another one for you, Ronnie. Ooh. Ah, so I know who that is. That one there. Sixpence? Yes. Now, that's Henry VIII's daughter. I was going to say, you can see her. That, that, no. that is so clear. There's two things that's unusual about an Elizabeth um, silver coin. One, that her portrait is clear. Mm. Because um, all the Catholics used to get the coin and used to sm uh, try and rub her face off. Really? Mm -hmm. Because, the, you know, the, it was their way of protesting against the monarchy. Yeah. Well, that, that is one a, is particularly clear. It is amazing, the detail. I mean, I know yeah. people can't see it, but the detail on this is fantastic. But you normally... And that's without my glasses. You normally find an Elizabeth Sixpence, as mm. you say, mm. so worn. Yeah. You can't see the rose behind, you can't see the date on it. But partially because it's very pure silver. Mm -hmm. Because she'd undone all the debasing that her father had done. Mm -hmm. And she brought the silver back up to... Uh, something like 96%. Uh, it was a forerunner of the Britannia standard, wasn't it? 958. Yeah. 958, yeah, 96. That is a remarkably that is good amazing. portrait. amazing. You don't often see them. Like that. that. 1570s? And it portrait? came up. I can't see the date. Is that 1570s-ish? 
late 1560s, yeah. 1570s, looking at the portrait that, anyway. That's as it came up. It was between two pieces of shale. Now, whether whoever had buried it had actually slid it into the shale... You can't I don't say know. that, the Treasure Act will apply. <laughs> <laughs> they dropped yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> they dropped it. Well, because we talked before, before the music about these two... Um, bits of regulation one is um the treasure act, the treasure act which you are legally bound by yeah and the other is portable antiquities scheme which you uh, abide by by you volunteer voluntarily it's yes. a, it's it's done on honor and trust yes and from my experience dealing with metal detectorists and no metal detectorists they invariably all go along with the portable antiquities scheme um, and definitely the Treasure Act because they get recompensed. <laughs> or they're supposed to be recompensed yes, by yes. the Treasure Act. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, eventually. It happened to me once. Oh, right. It took two uh, yeah. and a half years. <laughs> some, of my, some of our members are, have been waiting two and a half, three years. Mm. For it's probably no, it's no quicker now, then. No, no. But anyway, so let's, for, for the listeners, let's just define these. The Treasure Act, first of all. Well, if you find an artefact that is manufactured of more than 16% precious metal, 16%. They, they redefined it quite recently, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think it's still 16%. Um, silver, gold... Then that has to, and is over thirty. He was over three hundred years old. Mm -hmm. Then you have to declare that's the coroner. From there, <coughs> it is normally declared treasure, and museums will bid for it. And there is a committee that sits and dictates the value, the monetary value of the artefact. Whereas the portable antiquity scheme is purely, as you say, voluntary, that if you find anything other than precious metal over 300 years old, um, report it to your fines liaison officer so that it can be registered with the Museum of Wales mm -hmm. um, exactly where it was find, found and you will have that item returned to you. Mm -hmm. But they do ask you uh, would you care to loan that to a local museum? That's what that's that's happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. And quite a few of our members are loaning to Tenby, Narbeth, Local museums. The finest liaison officers tend to be, um, in fact, a lot of them are, I mean, they're archaeologists, but the majority of them, um, I don't know if it's changed, but we're, we're working for the local authority. They would be appointed archaeologists, the county archaeologist. Or, yes, yes, yes. Um, so they were quite familiar with the area as well. Cambria archaeology is, is mm -hmm. they supply some of the flow, f flows, finest liaison officers. Mm -hmm. And the Fines Liaison Officer, uh, I mean, they were always very, um, they would come out on, on metal detecting uh, sites, they would come out with metal detectorists to find out what we were doing and, yeah. you know, to, to join in. 
and they were often very very positive about the the sort of in fact those brooches i talked about earlier um they were you know obviously really quite excited by them it was them that told me what the type was because obviously i didn't know it was a roman fibula brooch of a particular design design yeah. um it looked similar but different to other ones mm. um but the flo immediately realized what it was um and you know we as a as a as a group you know we recorded every find that was significant we plotted it using i mean it, we were using it wasn't smartphones we had a, a gps a handheld gps yeah um it, you know somebody had it in their bag and every time somebody you know they could run it over and yeah they take a, a take reading, a reading from it. yeah um and then report it i mean in terms of working with the museums uh, is that is that still relationship is that still a good healthy relationship yes yeah there, there's um with museums as i say i've been on three time team digs um, and and they've gradually warmed towards us, mm -hmm. um, but the the museums um, they now realise that a lot of the finds that they've now got in their vaults would never have been discovered if it wasn't for the detectorists. I also, I mean, I recall uh, musket balls used to become a particular. They were they had a fascination um with non detectorists because obviously these yes, this munition. Yeah, yeah. And for detectorists though, they can become a bit of a, a pain, can't they? <laughs> particularly <laughs> Yes, they would be if they hit you. Of, particular parts of the world <laughs> or the parts of the country, um, you know, where areas where the civil war, um yeah. or often you would have a farmer um who would um because Everybody had muskets up till the nineteenth century. Yeah, of course they did. And yeah. they would go out and they would loose musket balls off at anything and yeah. everything. Target practice. Yeah, but uh, it amazes me how, how they used to go duck shooting with uh, these musket balls, because <laughs> so uh, so inaccurate. Well, how much duck would be left to eat after it been <laughs> by one of them? You know, an ounce slug of lead yeah. into a mallard is not going to go not no, going to no, do your no, lunch any no. good, is it? Particularly, you're also shooting a huge amount yeah. of, um, especially when it come out of a blunderbuss. So, so that yeah. you know. <laughs> but I mean, some of the battlefield sites up north from um, the English Civil War period, uh, I, th I think a calculation done by the Battlefield Trust at Marston Moor was approximately one and a half tons mm. of musket balls were recovered. Yes. Um, and they estimated, w extrapolating from those figures and the number of troops on each side, that during that one particular battle, more than two and a half million musket balls have been fired. And that's quite an extraordinary amount that's of lead lot, to finding a, to, is, to end up in a field. Well, that's that's the reason why there weren't many church roofs left waterproof in those days. Wherever there was a battle, the church roofs were stripped stripped of the lead and melted down in a musket they, they do the similar thing now but they weigh it in instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i mean the other thing that you would find as well was evidence of musket but of these uh, encampments um i, I we found that because we have right, right down at carrow cheriton uh, and other sites around Pembrokeshire, we have civil war sites yes have you ever uh, found um these folded up little squares of lead um yes 
where they're about to make musket balls from bits of church roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a debate as to whether that's what it is or whether they were used as catapults, ammunition. We just outside Chester, we we found one that had a, um, a ball caster. Right. Um, yeah. So they were a ball mould. So yes. they were obviously making it there. I mean, they could have shot the rest with catapults. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was obviously where they'd sat round the campfire at night making, making them. the yeah. musket balls for the yeah. following. Yeah. And of course, two muskets never had the same size ball. Mm. Um, you know, it was until the brown bess came along. Mm. A musket was had, a, and the the, the ball mould was yeah. often you know made uniquely for that gun. And and we have, we have found them half a dozen of them still joined together uh-huh. w- with a swarf between them uh-huh. so that they had a multiple mould. Cast on the sprues. Yeah. yeah. And and before they chopped them off. Mm-hmm. So they were obviously never fired. They'd been lost before being fired. My my best musket ball, which I've still got, has got the impression, this came from Marston Moore, it's actually got the imprint of some man's two front teeth in the ball. Mm. Um, is that it's obviously just about out of energy when it's hitting f- square on the the open mouth, presumably left an impression of his two front teeth and then dropped into the ground in front of him. Well, I was just about to ask you if you'd ever found a musket ball with teeth marks in it. Yes. Well, apart from the bitten ones as well, that's ah. different. Yeah. So that's that's what I. Was... These were these were yes. flat two foot flat foot. Yeah. It comes straight in, but you often would find bitten ones. Bitten ones, which were evidence of surgery, battlefield surgery. Well, yes. I this is my, this is what the the theory that I believe mm-hmm. that this is the bullet that you had to bite. Mm-hmm. The surgeon actually gave you a lead shot and said, "Look, this is going to hurt." a little bite on this because if you didn't you'd break your teeth Mm -hmm. so you bit on the fact that you were poisoning yourself with with the lead um i think you were going to get killed before (laughs) by the surgeon (laughs) if i'm honest but But yeah we found that we found them where they've been nearly bitten in two yes yeah Um, yeah. completely but you know almost bitten through um but this this one has got the two yes yes yes, two front teeth it's obviously come in yeah. Because the vast majority you find in the ground, of course, have missed everything um, and have just sort of gone whizzing through the air and hit the mud and gone plop. Yeah, and, and a lot of them, I think, had never been fired. That's equally the case. You know. Yeah, yeah that would be equally the case. But uh, again, you know, with particularly at Marston Moor, obviously, you know, a lot of them were fired. Oh, yes. And yes. most of them you know, did seem to miss. Anyway, we have some more music and then we have the news and we'll be back with Jack Tree talking more about the vagaries of musket balls and other interesting metal detecting stories. Join us after the news on The West Files. Join us anywhere after this, whatever it is. <laughs> Sorry, I was yeah, just looking at the wrong pop screen. Dale, yeah, yeah.
yours ever fill with the pain and the tears of grief? Did you ever give yourself to any one man in this whole wide world? Or did you love me? You have an eight real coin. Wow. An eight real piece. That is heavy. That's from a shipwreck. Oh my goodness. From the Armada. That is fantastic. I'm s- this is just like awesome. And it is just, you can see, how, how it's, mm. it's just literally they chop a big lump of silver up till it weighs an ounce and then stamp it. And that's all they did. That's all they needed. That's a, that's a coin. Yeah. That's quite right. Were you impressed that I knew that straight away? No, 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 if you've been lead detecting, you, you obviously had a wish list. Uh, no, uh, I had one. Well, that's all that's what I'm I saying. I had an you eight had... and a four. Four rail and an eight rail. What's the difference between a four and an eight? A four rail was half an eight rail. Ah. Uh, basically, the eight rail was like the pound coin. Yeah. Because uh, it was one ounce of silver. And that? That should be the one rail. That's the one rail. There you go. <laughs> one real, a piece of or a piece of one, <laughs> yes, as it was yes. sometimes called. But the eight was the equivalent of in Spanish money. The eight real was the, the pound coin. It was yeah. the one ounce of silver. Mm. And then in in Britain, we used to. Um, in fact, that's um, that caused some problem with our coinage, didn't it? Because our coins were made of solid silver, mm. sterling. Well, Britannia silver, yeah. nine five eight silver, and uh, the coiners and the unscrupulous merchants realised that you could shave a little off. Yes, yes. And if you shaved a little off every coin, Mm. you would have an awful lot of scrap silver left over at the end of a... And it was very, very rare to find a hammered coin. In fact, you've probably got several there that have got a slight flat on one side. Yeah. It's not that they're made like that. It's just somebody's nicked a bit of the silver. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, of course it happens. Even today, they call it taxes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the, the detail on those coins is just fantastic. Like I said, when you realise how long they've been in the ground, you've got them from the shipwrecks, and yet you can still mm-hmm. see the detail on yeah. them. Yeah, but that one wasn't, well, I say, from a shipwreck. It was from a field in Pembrokeshire. Really? Yes. Seriously? Seriously. Uh-oh. <laughs> I have never seen Steve look so gobsmacked. <laughs> I am truly astonished that <laughs> yes. because normally the eight real or the rails were always associated with with shipwrecks, with the treasure ship, the uh, Spanish sure. Armada. Yes, yes. And I wasn't aware that any of them came this far. Well, it would have been east as they tracked round Ireland. Yeah, but uh, you see, they traded as well. Of course they did. But this one was 
in a field in Pembrokeshire that goes down to the sea and we were finding in this field ships rivets and not the big copper rivets mm -hmm. but the little rowing boat rivets mm -hmm. the tenders and we we're also finding uh, foot weights of nets so we assume Spanish fishermen no, no. British fishermen well they were come, bringing their boats oh, up to repair their, their boats yeah. and obviously this boat had rotted away mm -hmm. you know 14 foot they'd have to go backwards and forwards to the mm. big boats that are moored in the bay mm -hmm. and the only way to go backwards and forwards is on your skiff or your, your tender mm -hmm. as we call them and they were bringing the tenders back in bringing the nets back in for repair and I can only assume that this had fallen into scuppers and they bought the boat up as they bought up hundreds of boats because there were thousands of these rivets mm -hmm. everywhere that had obviously been used the timber had rotted away from around them and we were finding them and I mean if only this could talk and tell me how well, it yeah, got because, there I mean, the, other, the other theory still holds <laughs> that it could be from uh, Spanish rowing ashore from a, from a sinking vessel or we have a there is a, there's lots of stories of Pembrokeshire wreckers yes, yes did they lure the ship in yeah, or, or were were they members of were they pirates belonging yeah, <laughs> British yeah. British pirates, which was sanctioned and legalised by the Crown. Which was yes. it's still called taxation, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a pirate, so that's the banking service. Yeah. Isn't I it? mean, that's the way that Elizabeth managed to get her coinage, oh, fine yeah. silver. But uh, yeah, most of that started life in Spain. <laughs> exactly. Well, in South America. <laughs> In fact, was it Queen Anne? Um, it, w it was Anne, wasn't it? That uh, they did a whole series of British coins from stolen treasure because we'd run out of silver in this country. And we used a whole um, host of treasure from uh, several treasure vessels that we <coughs> borrowed <Bottom. laughs> um, and minted all our, all our coins. And because all coins, I am correct, all our coins were silver, weren't they, up until the Georgian era? Uh, we didn't. We, the the, the uh, I was remember reading that the monarch used to think it was beneath the royal mint to mint in copper. Oh, um, so we only minted in silver and gold. In silver and gold until yeah. they. I mean, smaller coins. The pen. The the copper coins were actually done as trade tokens. Yes. Yeah. Until the early eighteenth century, and then the royal mint decided that you know we should get in on the act as well. Well, um, there was a trade token minted in Bristol. Mm -hmm. a Bristol Square token which was minted in 1580 mm -hmm. so that was Elizabethan mm. but they but, are rare but the Royal Mint wouldn't we wouldn't mint would we we, we, would we, we, we wouldn't mint small coins no no no, no. as you know I'm surprised how much I remember <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is your small coin there you go is that a half penny? Literally, <laughs> it penny. is literally a half, half penny. penny. Yeah, there, there's the full one. There you go, there's right. the full penny. And you can see oh where they cut goodness. it in half. So, if you went to market and eggs, eggs were a penny a dozen, and you only wanted six, you, you give, give the trader, 
your penny oh. he would then cut it in half and give you, and give you a half penny back which is where your half penny came from Good and if they did it into fours along the line of the cross fourthlings yeah farthing Ah! So if they cut it into quarters, each quarter was a fourth of the coin, a fourth thing. A fourth thing. But yeah. you st- again, the detail that you can see on these as well. There's a reason. Sorry, there's a reason why the monarch is so um, well well carved, or well cast, or well stamped, minted into the coin, which we'll cover legitimately after the news and after the music. Um, but we won't go into too much detail about that because you were saying how well the mm. and I was saying how look at the portrait it's yeah. immediately recognisable and that was very 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 important on the coins for a reason that we'll talk to after the uh, after the because it's we're running out of time basically because our guest tonight is Jack Tree from the Pembrokeshire Prospectors Metal Detecting Group and it's been absolutely fascinating just it's, sitting here and listening to the two of you. It's good, isn't it? It's, it really it's such is. a fascinating... It's, it is fascinating. Because there is so much of our history has been uncovered by amateur investigators, mm. amateur archaeologists, metal detectorists, um, you know, all working alongside one another in their groups, in their clubs, reporting their finds profe- you know, to mm. the authorities uh, under the Portable Antiquity <coughs> Scheme or the Treasure Act. Um, and maybe making a shilling or two on the side. And, of course, the farmers take a small percentage. 50%. There we are. Oh. Legally. There we are. Well, it's their land. It is true. Um, that is true. Yeah, never seen a poor farmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll we'll return with Jack Tree, Pembrokeshire Prospector's Metal Detectoring. Uh, Definitely after, after the news this time. Well, after drive-by. And the news. And then the news. Because now it's tea break time in the yes. studio. <laughs> On the other side of the street I knew Stood a girl that looked like you I guess that's deja vu But I thought this can't be true Cause you moved to West LA Or New York or Santa Fe Or wherever to get away from me Oh, but that one night Was more than just right
Ellis with the latest news for Pembrokeshire. A 77-year-old woman who died in a crash on a busy Haverford West roundabout has been named by police. David Powers Police is investigating a fatal collision at the Merlins Bridge roundabout Haverford West, which appeared at around 11.30am on Thursday, May the 23rd. During the crash, 77-year-old Sandra Neal died. Her next of kin and HM coroner are aware. Her family described her as a loving sister and aunt who will be sadly missed. Mrs Neal, a retired lecturer at Pembrokeshire College, was driving a red Hyundai i10 down Merlins Hill, approaching Merlins Bridge roundabout when her car collided with a stationary BMW. Anyone who saw the collision or has any information is asked to contact 101. The Home Office has asked for a licensing review of an Indian restaurant in Johnston after a number